The first rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The third rule of Fight Club Minute, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the minute is over. Fourth rule, only one guest to a minute. Fifth rule, one minute at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirt, no shoes. Seventh rule, minutes will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first time listening to Fight Club Minute, enjoy the show. I am Jack's 64th minute. I start with the greatest moment of your life, and I end with, it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat, and if our co-host is our model for God and our co-host bails from time to time, what does that tell us about Lance Stanford? How are you doing today? You, you've been waiting on that one, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. No, I completely understand. Everybody's lives are busy and uh, I'm perfectly, uh, you know, it's not, a, not an issue whenever life gets in the way of podcasting, because life is always more, more important than podcasting. And our guest today, Danny Gambaro, doesn't just fear, but knows that someday he's going to die but he still decides to spend a week with us. And so how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's good to have you on. And before we get jump into today's minutes, I I would like to know, you know, what is your history with this movie? Like where where did you first discover Fight Club? And I I probably was about I it had to be 14 years old when this movie came out. I think that's about right. And uh, I remember seeing the trailers for it and thinking that looks cool. I was at a school uh, that made us read a book. We had to have a book and we had to get book reports on it. And uh, it was a small school and they they made us go get our own books. And I was no and not interested in reading as much at that point. And I saw the trailer for this movie and I thought, oh, I want to see this movie. But my parents were like, I don't know, it looks a little violent. And I was like, well, can I read the book? And they're like, sure. So uh, that's my first, uh, is it Polinick? Is that how we say his name? Yes, Chuck Polinick. Chuck Polinick. Yeah. It was the first Chuck Polinick book I ever read. It is definitely not the last. It uh, I went down the rabbit hole after that. But I had read the book and then my parents let me rent the movie when it came out uh, to Blockbuster. And so that was, uh, that's my history with this movie. So I've been watching it uh, for the longest time. I, I was in that audience, right? Like I was a big Limp Bizkit fan and he was sitting there talking about how he <laughs> well, saw it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there. You said... You were a Limp Bizkit fan? I still am a Limp Bizkit fan. <laughs> I am. But at that point, I was bigger than I am, right? Like, we could admit that their first three albums were peak. But uh... <laughs> but yeah, that's my history with it. I mean, I, I, I was that fan base and that book. And I still have a love for that book. And I still have a vivid memory of the book. And so for the movie, I love that the movie is it's, it's, it's spirit of the book, but it's still its own thing. Like, I can't say one is better than the other. Yeah, and somehow I still have not found time to read the novel myself, even though I, I have it. I bought it before we started doing this and I still have not read more than like the first chapter. It's it's not hugely different, but there are things in it that you're like, okay, you see these pieces here. I feel like and I was uh, when I texted Lance a bunch while I was watching this yesterday. Uh, again, since it's been, like I said, I think it's been like 14 years. So it was the 10th anniversary last time I watched it uh, and going, man, they truly tell you what's happening. Like there's at no point are they 
hiding it that bad from you. If you're really paying attention, you can figure it out within the first 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, makes the rewatches a lot more fun. And I feel like I've said it before, like every time you rewatch this film, you pick up on more little things, more little things, more little things. And now doing this minute by minute, we're looking at stuff like even uh, Bubble Wink talks a lot about color theory and like we look at color patterns that are, oh yeah, you know, just more, just tiny, tiny little things. And it's, it just speaks to the genius of Fincher, uh, which we were talking yesterday while you were watching it. Uh, and well, none of his movies are in 4K? Isn't that what we figured out? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's something I read, like he just, it's taking the time out to actually mess with it or if it's, because you watch Fight Club and you you see how kind of, the movie is grainy and it's dark. Uh, I couldn't imagine him putting HDR into the film and trying to brighten things up or make things pop because it almost uh, leads to the charm of the film itself. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think he right now he was talking, Fincher was talking about he is putting seven on uh, the 4K format. Then he said it's really, really hard because of the color grading in the HDR and he's having trouble liking what he's looking at as he's making it. And so that's why it's taken forever. Cause I think they were going to do some anniversary and they missed the anniversary because he just couldn't get it right. Hmm. Yeah. The, in the, in the last minute, there's that moment with the, uh, the bright green forest. And in the commentary, they talk about how that is such a, a big pop of color because the rest of the movie is, is so grainy and washed out. Uh, but jumping into today's minute, I, I feel like this is really a, a big moment in the Church of Tyler or the cult of Tyler. And this is really a big part of his cult mentality where he is putting the, the narrator through this this ordeal and leaving a permanent scar that's that will be this constant reminder of Tyler and Tyler's philosophy. And, and it's like really making him a part of something that he can't ever leave. Like even if he does, uh, I mean, I I haven't read the fight club two or three either, but if the end of this movie was him getting rid of Tyler forever, he would still always have that permanent reminder of Tyler. Yeah. Um, without spoiling much about two and three, you in two for sure. I'm trying to remember three. Uh, in two for sure, you, he still has the the lip mark and stuff. Um, and then of course, you know, Tyler comes back. But yeah, it's. I, I think it's it's almost like a rite of passage too, though. Like it's it's in one way he's literally branding the narrator here, you know, with with his lips and stuff. But it's also um, as we'll see later with some of the Project Mayhem stuff is. No, it's this this initiation, this rite of passage that proves your loyalty. Um, you know, and you look at a lot of religions and um, group structures around the world. You know, and you'll see that uh, not not many to this extent, but um, you know, yeah, you'll definitely see see stuff. And I think that, like like you said, the cult of Tyler. I, I think that just is just welcomes them in. Yeah, I I tried to uh, do a little bit of searching about this in terms of cults, and and I couldn't find a a ton of information about this kind of you know extreme body modification. the The closest thing that I can think of is the the whole Nexium cult, 
uh, where they they had that the the branding of the girls in the inner circle, and that was another something that's you know tied into a cult and it's something permanent. Uh, this uh, act of this uh, this act of loyalty. Yeah, I uh, perfect segue right here. All right, so <laughs> I just thought of one in in the video games Assassin's Creed. Um, the order the assassins cut off their ring finger to make room for their hidden blade, and it like it shows loyalty to the creed and everything like that. So it is a um, body modification, body torture thing, because that that's when you become an initiate. That's what they do after you go through all your training. They take you like into this fancy room and get this red hot thing and just cut off your finger, um, which is cool because I was. I was asking Danny this off mic to ask when he was going to play um, the new Assassin's Creed Mirage that just dropped about a, as of this recording a little over a month ago um, I just beat it this week and it has a very fight club ending to it that mm-hmm. was just awesome I'm on my second playthrough now and again picking up little things and stuff um, because you're this street street rat and it's a quote a lad you're the street rat bossing on the streets of Baghdad and you have this best friend, Nihal, who she's like, hey, you know, just you're getting too caught up with these assassin guys, blah, blah. And as the game progresses, she's giving you all these little clues to what's going on um, as far as like the the pre-civilization stuff. And really toward the end, like she's just starting. I'm like, how does she know all this? Well, at the end, you go into this big room and um, you find this. It's a prison cell, a little chamber. And Basim's spirit is actually locked in there because we learned in Valhalla that he's actually Loki. But when he goes there to free himself, it turns out that Nihal is a figment of his imagination and that she wasn't there at all through the whole game. That he was just imagining, like it was a very Tyler narrator thing. Mm -hmm. And so now in my second playthrough, I'm noticing like people don't talk to her. People don't (laughs) acknowledge her. I'm just like, oh my gosh. It's, It's really, really cool. Nice. That that's a series that I've ever since we got an Xbox, which was just a, a year or two ago, I've been wanting to try some of the Assassin's Creed games, but I haven't picked any of them up yet. And I don't make myself I don't make enough uh, set enough time out to play video games for me to uh, really try and pick one up, especially not a new one. Yeah, I would I would do the the Ezio trilogy because you get two Brotherhood and Revelations and you get like a complete story there. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah, this, that was just a good little talking about mutilating yourself and Fight Club. And I was I was freaking out. It was like one thirty in the morning, and I it took all I had not <laughs> to stream because I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like all my favorite things coming together. And so it was cool. But yeah, yeah. Fight, Fight Club <laughs> and being such a fan of Fight Club because the, this is kind of a trope that especially that I'm curious if I like played it through, if I would have caught that because I noticed that I do tend to pick up on the imaginary characters quicker than some other people do just because I, being a fan of fight club, I always kind of have that in the back of my mind. It's like, as, as soon as I notice that nobody's talking to a character, I I start thinking, Oh, is that, that, is that a ghost or a figment of their imagination? Right. And and about half the time I'm right. (laughs) And so there there's also a lot of talk about God in this minute. And uh, we never really get a sense of Jack's personality 
pre this it it's i mean he does uh, go to like these support groups which they're often like church supported so there is probably some element of religion to him and you know being a a typical like cis white male uh in his uh i'd say early middle age um uh, you know i've I imagine that he's presented as being in like his early thirties in this, that he most likely had a Christian background uh, since that is typical. And, and that's, this kind of goes along with that. And this is also like Tyler trying to replace his religion with the, the religion of fight club. So he's like breaking down his Christian religion saying that, uh, you know, God doesn't like us. God left us. God hates us. What do you well, guys think about that? We've talked a lot about how Tyler subs in for the father figure a lot. Mm -hmm. And especially in like Judeo-Christian beliefs, you have, you know, uh, the Holy Father, you have, you know, God, the father, everything like that. Um, Christianity, you have the, the Trinity, but, you know, and so I think it's very fitting i guess um very i don't want to say on the nose for him to do mm -hmm. but definitely uh it, it tracks with with all his other stuff what do you think danny yeah you know he, he's definitely playing god right he's he's over all these people he is the uh well at least at first right he's the deity that everyone goes to and then eventually um wants everyone to be the same thing right yeah, and we talk i think spoilers, not to worry about like not talk, what we talk spoilers so it's okay <laughs> right well i'm just saying like he wants them all to be in, in one like a one unit like everyone is the same right like everyone is the same until they die and then they have a name type thing so i think i think he likes playing god right like that's kind of what i get from that he's god is is uh what was the quote that he says right at the beginning of that minute it's like our fathers were our models for god if our fathers bailed what does that tell us about god Right, exactly. And so it's almost as if he doesn't, he, he he's mad at God, he's done with it, which is kind of how where, uh, if you look at the early part of, of Edward Norton, I guess, who is essentially Tyler, uh, life is just this bland, it just goes. His God is stuff, right? He idols his stuff. That made him complete. You know, he's talking to the bar and he's like, We're, it makes me complete. It's, or I'm almost completed. Um, Whereas Tyler is that ant antithesis to it all, right? Like Tyler is the opposite. Uh, you find your own place. And so he's kind of giving everyone that your own place. I don't know. Am I making sense? <laughs> yeah. I get, I get what you're putting down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and, and it is a little bit about, uh, about what, like not quite the same way, but a little bit of what we eventually see with the the Project Mayhem recruits with him basically breaking down Jack's self-esteem. So he's in a position, I mean, he doesn't say it in this minute, he says in the beginning of next minute. Well, he said it earlier, like about uh, a little over a week ago, talking about hitting bottom. And that again, that that is like the little literal breaking down of him as a person and his self-esteem. So he's replaced with what Tyler gives him. Well, which that think, is that that is like cult leader 101. Yeah. Well, also I think if you look at 
the time, you know, the the late nineties, early aughts, there was very much a um, split from the church. You know, like you had the the generation of your parents made you go to church every Sunday or whatever, but then yeah, either your parents divorced, one of them split, what you know, and so people were kind of coming into their own as adults and realizing like and forming their own opinion, you know, um, and we're not going to say one's right or wrong or anything on here, but, you know, people forming their own opinions and stuff. And you saw a big break from the church, like in the early aughts and stuff. And um, I think it's especially in that demographic of people who, like I said, were raised going to church every, every week. And then when they were able to drive themselves or, you know, didn't have to go, they, they kind of changed their structure. And I think that's kind of what Tyler's getting at here is, you know, if, your your role model your belief didn't work for you because look where it led you so what does that tell you about yeah i could go down a rabbit hole but i don't (laughs) (laughs) but i don't want to piss off people at the rabbit hole so i'm I'm gonna stop (laughs) yeah there there's definitely been in at least in the u.s a growing trend of uh, an, an increase of atheism and agnosticism and i wouldn't be surprised if that did really start uh growing around the the late 90s early 2000s i was gonna say it's also the the fact that um as we've gotten older you get the more the younger generation is thinking more for themselves i know that's such a weird thing to say but i I feel (laughs) like the it's less about what the parents think and more about what they're thinking now and i think that just it's the whole where everything's come from the last five ten years yeah 30 (laughs) well yeah so uh Back at the minute, we're about to the point where he's talking about um, you have to know, is it is that about where we're at? The, you have to know, not fear. You have to know that someday you will die. Yeah, right around. Yeah. I think that's right about the middle of the minute. Yeah. So that, y'all are going to laugh at me. Um, I, I literally say that to myself every time I get in an elevator. Like, I'm not afraid of elevators, um, but also like. I see it going on. It, to me, like, I don't ride roller coasters. It's not because I'm afraid of roller coasters. It's because I don't trust the people that build the roller coasters. <laughs> so I'm. it's not that I'm necessarily afraid of elevators. It's just the people that put them there and maintain them. And I just, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, I know, statistically speaking, elevators are the safest mode of transportation. Everyone says airplanes, but actually elevators are because uh, they move people. But I just always have this fear that I'm like, this is just going to fall. I'm going to die or reverse. It's going to be like the first mission impossible when the last of us is on the top and it goes up and impels him in the head. Like, so I'm screwed either way, whether I die going up or die going down. And so I just, <laughs> I tell myself, I have to like, you have to know, not fear, know that you're going to die. And then how I get many, in that. How many elevators are you getting on top of the elevator? <laughs> hey, don't, don't worry about what I do in my, my own time. Next time we get on an elevator together, once it starts going up, I'm going to jump. Do that jump thing. I'll punch you in <laughs> somewhere for sure. I've been under an elevator before. That was kind of creepy. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do that. So, Although I, I have seen a one of those, I have seen a meme of a an elevator that has a sign that says, uh, if the elevator does not start, give a little jump and it'll go. Oh, God. See, it makes me like Mitch Hedberg, you know, he's like, the escalator's temporarily stairs. Sorry for the convenience. Like, you don't get that with ele- elevators. It's just, it's a box of death. Like, I think like, and it never fails. Anytime it starts to do its thing, I'm like, 
I have to use the bathroom. I'm gonna have to use the bathroom in an elevator. Like, and they have the cameras up there, and they're gonna see me use the bathroom in the elevator because I'm gonna be stuck in it. And I don't know. It just, but yeah. So I, I use that quote like not out loud, not verbally a lot, but internally, it's that's kind of, it's I guess my own pep talk is, hey, you're gonna die anyway, so just get used to it. Let's just go. Mm-hmm. And that that line does also, again, feeds into the the cult leader mentality to a certain extent because there there's also been a lot of the the whole suicide cults that and so there is that element of you know joining this cult and you have to know that you will eventually die and you want and he wants you to be okay with that thought to know if if that's somebody that is a good recruitment option like somebody that's susceptible for the the cult itself right like, like oh sorry go ahead Danny. i said well it's not like tyler's being a bad guy here either though i mean there is the cult mentality and, and everything that he's doing but it feels at times there the reasoning he does things is for the betterment of the people that he's recruiting uh i mean he is giving him a chemical burn <laughs> yeah <laughs> so right, that... <laughs> right right there is that but but if you think about it like the the whole thing where, he, where he's uh changing like when he takes people's driver's license, you know, holds, holds them up and says, you know, what did you want to do with your life? All right. I'm going to come check on you in six weeks. And you know, that whole thing. And he's trying to betterment these other people's lives. I mean, I'm just, he's not all bad. Right. <laughs> well, if you think, I mean, even, even your, your base religions, your normal religions are, Hey, you know, you're going to die. So you need to worship this higher being. So you'll be okay. So, I mean, I, I think all religions and cults and everything are I, I guess like anybody who wants you to be better at life wants you to be comfortable with it ending which is weird to say out loud um but i think yeah that's definitely what what Tyler is like hey you know you've you've hit bottom you're trying to hit bottom once you hit bottom there's nothing else you're gonna die someday so uh then there's two ways you can take that like you can go the cake mentality where it's as soon as you're born you start dying so you might as well have a good time or then that, that's the my that's where I subscribe the religion of cake, but cake is or the, <laughs> all um they go the distance though, <laughs> and uh, or you know like this one the very like hey if everybody's at bottom everybody's on the same plane everyone's on the same plateau and it's better uh you know I I don't know yeah I but I see what you're saying Danny for sure like he's he's trying to even it out like in a weird like mixture of religion and communism and or socialism and, and you know everybody's equals but what does it really take for everybody to be equals and it's pain and suffering like they say pain brings people together and he's and suffering bring tragedy brings people together and i think that's what he's trying to prove right here yeah i also really like the 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 movement and the choreography of of this this whole scene i mean it, you don't really think about it too much but if you do kind of take a step back and and realize that at the beginning of this this scene, Tyler is wearing these two large black rubber gloves and this this giant safety goggles, and by the end he just has the one single rubber glove that's that's uh, constantly holding on to Jack's hand, and he's removed the the goggles and the the other glove, and we also have these nice couple moments of movement as they go across the table and the table is filled with the the bowls and the 
um, and the soap and all this stuff that's that really creates a, a nice sense of motion in this very simple shots that's just the the two of them face to face i appreciated that a lot uh upon my rewatch um watching that scene in general just thinking about that i loved the choreography there the the bowls being pushed and it, it pushes two or three times uh and i keep i kept thinking okay the, we're gonna hear the clash how long is that table that they're going across because <laughs> they push that thing and they push it again and they push it again and it never falls but it's it's such a good uh yeah the choreographing of that scene well i feel like it, it probably does fall because it, at the end of that we do see jack's arm looks like he's at the the very edge like the corner of the table they they just don't show them and don't uh have the sound like the fully sound of it all falling on the floor when you know going talking about movie tropes you know we've seen a million times somebody come and clear off the table of all the stuff and it's like this big moment in here it seems like you have you almost have it almost every time but then tyler brings it back in like hey no this is not a big deal this is just something that needs to be done you don't need to be dramatic about it you just need to center yourself and do it and while jack's like no stop you know like stop everything and i i think that was a fun little play on a trope because um yeah i i saw a meme the other day it was like all my life i wanted to just clear everything off a table and put a map down and say, this is the plan. And it's, you know, you don't get that here. Like Danny was saying, like you never get the full dramatic well, effect. And it's a nice little scene though. I mean, it's a very intimate scene being kind of everything all encompassing that's happening, but it's a very intimate scene. Right. And uh, he keeps trying to go back to his peace place, right? Like he's, he's trying to go back to the cave, back to the penguin. And of course, what pops up is still Marla being there, blowing smoke in his face, him coughing. You know, he keeps trying to go to the the trees, the serene area, and uh, and Tyler keeps pulling him back, like, "Don't go there, don't go there." Uh, it, it, and he's like, "Everything is about this moment," which is about kind of how Tyler's whole plan is. Everything is about now and what's going to happen now, and it's also about feeling pain and experiencing pain, which that's that is just like what fight club is too that you know the rush of fight club isn't about hitting somebody else it's about getting hit by somebody and feeling the pain of that punch and that the pain of that kick and feeling alive and experiencing something that you wouldn't normally experience otherwise and and this is an extension of that to to like a more extreme level and one other thing that that I did notice that I think is interesting, if you like look at the body language of Edward Norton and Brad Pitt in this scene, anytime that the camera is on Brad Pitt, you can see him like visibly shaking from the effort of holding Jack's hand still. But every time that you see Jack, he doesn't look like he's struggling. Like he looks very still. We don't see that same shaking. And I think that... Uh, that could just be like the, you know, the actor choices, but it could also like, if you do think about it, it's in, in the case that's, you know, that this is just one person. So his physical body, his arm most likely isn't shaking. Like his arm is just standing out there because there is nobody physically there holding it, but it is his mental image of Tyler that is struggling to keep his hand still. And so that's why 
Tyler physically is showing this effort at keeping Jack's hand still. And Jack is not showing the same effort. Well, later on, when we get the big reveal and we see this from just one person, like you see Tyler's or Jack's hand shaking a little bit while the burn's happening. So it could be Tyler doing the actual burn himself right then. And that's what could be causing the shaking. I will say it is a miracle. It is talking about higher powers and deities and things that me and my friends don't have chemical burns of lips on our hands. I can't tell you how many times we have a, a little too much to drink. And we're just like, all right, we're going to do it. We're tonight's the night. We're going to do it. And um, luckily we never like, we're always missing one of the things, you know, and <laughs> it, it never happened. But then at one point we we're all going to get like lip tattoos on, on our back of our hands. And they're like, no, those are career killers. But now that I already have one career killer on my neck, I may, I may do it. I don't know. But <laughs> Yeah, there there's a lot of times that this scene almost happened in, in real in real life, IRL, as the kids say. Yeah, I mean, tattoos in general are slowly becoming more socially acceptable. Like, uh, I mean, I, I work at a at a family entertainment uh, center slash restaurant, and I'd say maybe about six, six years ago, give or take, they they finally dropped the the dress code requirements that's that you couldn't have any visible tattoos so you you can work at a uh, at a children's arcade and have visible tattoos as long as they're not offensive i'm, yeah. I'm a teacher and teachers have tattoos now so but still your neck like above the neck and back of the hands are still frowned upon in a lot of like you can have sleeves but like when you start getting here face area oh no, like, no. yeah <laughs> yeah they they do still um exclude face tattoos yeah i'm a little against face tattoos too though just <laughs> not gonna have that happen on my face you need it buddy you need the help <laughs> yeah and one other thing that i think is funny I, I did listen to the commentary for this section and uh david fincher mentions that he showed this like the rough cut of this scene to his mother in order to convince her that she didn't want to watch the entire movie. And he said that whenever he was showing it to her, she had this look on her, her face, like she smelled something bad. <laughs> and then Edward Norton re replied and, and he said that uh, his, he showed it that his father has seen the, the entire movie. And he told him that this was one of his favorite scenes in the movie. Watching my son get tortured. <laughs> <laughs> They're both. Fantastic actors, though. I mean, just this scene alone proves that both of them can act. It's too bad you don't see enough of Edward Norton, Edward Norton anymore. Uh, and then I, I do like that this this ends with Tyler showing that he has the exact same uh, kiss scar, which I, I think it. But let me let me ask you guys: Do you think that that Tyler's? I, I mean, I, I know it doesn't exist at all because Tyler is a figment of. Uh, Jack's imagination, but do you think that this scar existed before this moment, or do you think that this is the moment where Tyler also got this scar because it it is you know they do share the same body? Like, is this from Tyler's perspective? Is this Tyler giving himself the scar at the same time? Yeah, like I was saying a second, I think this is that's why he's shaking. Is he's his hand is shaking, and I think yeah, it all gets done. Uh, yeah i'd agree so yeah i i didn't even think about that part but that's that is a good reason why 
why Tyler is also shaken because him as as this mental character, he is also going through the same experience. Like he's having this exact same moment as Jack. Like he is going through this initiation at the exact same time and they're handling it in, a, in two di- very different ways. Yeah. And then, you know, we end with that phenomenal line. Like it's only after you've lost everything that you're free to do anything. And then later on, right. Cause it's not in the next minute, but it's later on in the movie where they had, it's only after disaster that you can be resurrected. And I, I don't know. I that's well, when truly he, love. I want that on on my wall. When he's on the ground after they pour the the chemical or he pours the vinegar on the uh, burn, I think that's I, next minute. Yeah, that's that's next minute. That's next yeah. minute. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, 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 put a pan in that. <laughs> they say. Yeah. Yeah. What, like one one last thing I'll say about that that line is that I I feel like that is kind of a, a philosophy of a lot of uh, addiction recovery groups as well, because it, there's a, a theory, I mean, not necessarily a theory, but I think it happens a lot with addicts that, that a lot of times with addiction, you have to hit rock bottom before you're willing to admit to recovery. Think about that scene that where was Bob Saget? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wish that uh, I read up on some of it because I wonder, you know how um, The Shining is uh, Stephen King's book about going through AA or, um, yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Right? Is it The Shining? Yeah. I think so. I just read his autobiography slash writing book and I, yeah, I think it is. And so that's the book he does about that. I wonder if Chuck Palahniuk Palahniuk has the uh, kind of the same thing with this, kind of the whole going through recovery because it does kind of feel like that yeah but he still boozes and stuff i don't um, know enough about his personal life i know too much <laughs> the man has almost killed me so it's great <laughs> yeah, well i i think that wraps up my notes for this scene uh for this minute do either of you have anything else no i just like said this might be my favorite single serving minute of <laughs> this whole film fantastic all right well danny thank you so much for joining us today and this entire week and uh you know here's your moment if you want to plug any of your other projects and let everybody else know where else you can be found online yeah you can find me on uh pop culture elevator on any uh podcast format that uh you go to you know spotify apple uh what is it apple podcasts Mm -hmm. all of that all of those so that's where you can find me there And we have been Fight Club Minute, and you can find us on all the available podcatchers out there. Uh, We are also a part of the Rabbit Hole Podcasting Network, and you can find uh, our our podcast as well as many other great podcasts about movies, TV, books, uh, celebrity deaths. We run the gamut over there at uh, rabbitholepodcasts.com. There's also ways on the sites that you can support us. We have... uh, a free trial of Audible, and there's also a Patreon where you can get to episodes early and also uh, bonus episodes from some of the other podcasts. And uh, you can also find us on social media. I am everywhere at Bubba Wheat, and Lance is everywhere at The Night Nerd. And we'll also have links for everything in the show notes. And uh, this has been Fight Club Minute, and this podcast is ending one minute at a time. It's only after we've lost everything that 
were free to do anything. 